0: Hello, good evening, and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, I'm in Dublin Port to hear about ambitious new expansion plans, and we hear about the battle against pollution in Dublin Bay. Dublin Port last week launched a large development project for the Poolbeg Peninsula across the River Liffey from the main port activity at the moment. It's called the 3FM project and it will include a new freight bridge across the river. I visited the port today and met with the Dublin Port Chief Executive Eamon O'Reilly. From his office on the fourth floor of his building,
1: he first told me about recent developments in the port. We're looking out at an incredibly busy port, Fergal, and what you can see immediately inside the the building is the completion of works on a a new roll-on, roll-off terminal we refer to as T4. That will open um, probably around April or May of next year. Um, And that terminal has more capacity for roll-on roll-off freight than, for example, Rossler Port has. You've got a new bridge here, an internal bridge? It's an internal bridge. Um, We're we're working, uh, and it's not ideal to be working brownfield on existing assets, but that's what we have to do. So we have to try to expand capacity and part of that is reaching further back away from the Key Wall to lands that are separated from the Key Walls by what are today very busy roads. So the new bridge uh, is over Alexander Road. We refer to it as Kenny's Bridge after the engineer who has, has built it, um, and it is just about ready to go into service today. On the other side of that road, if anybody who has ever driven into the port will know it, it's what's going over there? What we see there today are... Acres and acres and acres of trailers. Trailers which have come off uh, services from continental Europe post-Brexit, specifically off the CLDN service linking Dublin into uh, Rotterdam and Zeebrugge. Some of the ships in that service were referred to in the newspapers a couple of years ago when they were christened as Brexit busters. There's one of them just over here. Yeah, that's a ship called the Sixteen, and these are huge ships. From memory, it has a lane metre capacity of something in the order of 6,500 metres, 6.5 kilometres of trailers on the one ship.
0: And where does that go, and how often does it come here?
1: That ship would have come from either Zeebrugge or Rotterdam, and there's about 10 arrivals a week into Dublin port of ships from those two ports with that service. What difference has Brexit made to you? You've got an awful lot more ships now coming
0: directly from Europe.
1: Brexit has made a... a a big difference in, in a couple of areas. First of all, I suppose, is the, um, the lack of congestion. Prior to Brexit, everybody talked, uh, and the journalism profession certainly got its fair share of headlines, on the calamities we were facing into. But we did a huge amount of preparations here in Dublin Port. We worked very closely with the OPW and various state agencies. And lo and behold, there was no congestion. The systems are now up and running very well and very effectively and efficiently. So, for example, on an average ship coming into Dublin port from a GB port, Hollyhead or Liverpool, there's 2.7 trailers are called for some form of physical inspection. It's, it's a tiny fraction and it actually is no different to the level of engagement that customs would have with deep sea containers who come into Dublin Port, which come into Dublin Port from the likes of Rotterdam, but first hit the EU customs border here in, in Dublin Port. Going directly from here to Rotterdam to Europe, how, long, how, how much extra is it over the land bridge? A, a ship from here to Zeebrugge, Bruges, a roll-on, roll-off ship, if you're being optimistic, you're talking about 36 hours. You're talking about low 40s, I guess, to get to Rotterdam, But when you add in um, weather, uh, Land's End, English Channel, the 36 can easily go to 45 itself, and the 40-plus can easily head towards about 50. So the big difference we have now is these ships are providing the direct services. Were the the cargo to go by land bridge, you're probably talking from Dublin Port. I'm guessing it's about 16 hours down to the likes of Calais or, or Dunkirk. Those are very reliable services. The direct services are less reliable. And one of the consequences of that, there's far more unaccompanied trailers now moving. You're not going to put drivers on board ships leaving Dublin Port and and have them on the ship for 36 hours or 48 yeah. hours. So they pick up
0: the trailer when it arrives or drop it off as it's going to go?
1: That's correct. So the trailers are pulled off um, the ship's. Uh, here in Dublin Port, for example, they're pulled off by, by terminal operating staff. They're put into the yards that we're looking at the window at. And then a driver will turn up to pick it up as and when. Now, what's really bad about that from Dublin Port's point of view, that takes away port capacity. Because when you have a ferry load of driver-accompanied um, trailers coming from the likes of Hollyhead, the ramp drops, the drivers were driving off going straight out the Dublin Port Tunnel. That does still happen today, but in far fewer numbers. To deal with all of this then, and as going on, you have very big plans. We we do indeed. We've, we've um, We've just launched a project. We refer to it as the 3FM project. Now, we do give our projects terrible names, but the name has a meaning. It's the third and final master plan project. And what's important about that, it is the final project we envisage being necessary to bring Dublin Port to its ultimate capacity by 2040. And that's of great historical significance. 2040 will be 333 years from the founding of Dublin Port by way of the creation of the First Port Authority, the Ballast Office, back in 1707. So the 3FM project has been launched, and the launching of it means we, we are starting to do the design work on it In January of 2022 with the aim of lodging a planning application in the first quarter of 2023. It's taken us about a year to get to this point where we're able to tell people what it is we are planning. So we have set up uh, a website, it has videos of of various people from Dublin Port explaining the project, it has good quality um, general arrangement drawings of what we envisage and it has um, some, some CGI's to allow people to envisage what, what might occur. Also, I think very importantly, there are fantastic images up there, uh, up there of what's on the poolbag Peninsula today. There's a lot of talk about the poolbag Peninsula and developing housing on it. When you see the actual reality, you have an incinerator burning 600,000-plus tonnes you have a great big, one of Europe's biggest wastewater treatment plants, which is subject to uh, odour leakages, let's call it. We have got power stations. There is, and we have oil storage tanks from Nora. There is just no possibility to build huge mm. housing on the poolbeck Peninsula. And the lands that we own, we need to develop those for port capacity. We're talking about across the river here. What are you thinking of or what are you planning on putting over there? The lands that we have on the Pool Bay Peninsula it's about one fifth of the total port estate. So the developments we're proposing are for unitised trade, so roll on, roll off, lift on lift off, trailers and containers. And we aim to develop two terminals over there which will have twenty percent of the capacity we think we need by about twenty forty. What will that look like? What did it look like for people familiar with with the the Liffey or with Eastlink Bridge? You, as you come to the East Link Bridge from the south side, you pass a, an existing container terminal with blue cranes. Mm. That's run by a company called Marine Terminals Limited, who are owned by Peel Ports, the, the owners and operators of, of of Liverpool, the Port of Liverpool. So we envisage moving the container terminal about a kilometre down the river eastwards and putting it right in front of the two iconic chimneys that the ESB have. That will allow us to have a terminal which has more capacity, access to deeper water. We're talking about bringing it out at minus 13 metres, and we would create a terminal with the capacity of about 360,000 containers per annum.
0: How big is that in comparison
1: to what you already have? It would be the biggest container terminal both in Dublin Port and on the island of Ireland. And in addition to that, the existing container terminal, we're, we're planning to turn that into a roll-on, roll-off terminal for freight trailers. So the type of business I've described coming from continental Europe, and we're looking to put a, a terminal there with a capacity of about 288,000 trailers per annum. When this plan is completed as comparison to now, how much bigger will Dublin Port be? Overall, we're looking to provide capacity to allow for approximately a doubling of Dublin Port's throughput between 2020 and 2040, and I, I think that's quite likely to occur. When you look long term, from 1950 to 1980, for example, there was an average annual growth rate then of 3.2%. From 1980 all the way up to 2010, it was an extraordinary 4.7%. So you don't need much of an average annual increase to get a doubling in just 20 years we've we've got to be careful and make sure we plan for it if it doesn't happen we don't have to build the projects but we have to have the planning permissions in place and the plans ready to go now there are three things that struck me about this the first is you're planning to build a new bridge across the Liffey it'll be quite a big bridge it'll it'll be physically the most noticeable thing that people will see absolutely the All of that unitised capacity we're talking about on the south side, we would not dream of bringing that project to Umbour Planola and suggest that we would put all of that traffic over the East Link Bridge or the Tom Clark Bridge, to give it its its, its more modern name. There just is not capacity on that bridge. So if we are to build out those terminals on the Pooleback Peninsula, we need to have new and independent access to those from the north side of the port. All of the traffic has to go in and out of the Dublin Port Tunnel. Yeah. So what we're proposing is is a bridge and a small road, all of which would be internal Dublin Port uh, roads, referred to as the Southern Port Access Route or the SPAR. In terms of the local environment, the effect of that will be to bring all of the HGV traffic, and we think the, the traffic that's going to the incinerator sh- should be using this bridge as well. Take all of that traffic off the off the existing public roads, off Eastwall Road, off the Tom Clark Bridge, off Pigeon House Road, and put it onto this private road which will have enough capacity for a volume in the terminals which is not going to increase beyond its capacity, therefore it would be a road which would be almost guaranteed to be congestion free. Now I can't think of very many roads ever built in Ireland in my lifetime which you could say we're not going to congest'. So this bridge would be on the sea side of the existing toll bridge? It would have to open? It, it would have to be an opening bridge unless the decision was taken to uh, not to have an opening bridge, which uh, I can't see happening. We always have to maintain some access to the stretch of river, uh, John Rogerson's Quay and North Wall Key, to be able to bring toll ships in or to be able to bring pleasure craft in on, on occasions, it wouldn't be a bridge that opened very frequently, but we have to maintain access. I think the the, the Matt Talbot Bridge kind of isolated an all, a large part of it from all us. and then previously, obviously, the the Loop Line Bridge would have stopped sailing ships from going any, any further up uh, uh, westwards up up into the city. So yeah, it would have to be an opening bridge, and we we we're starting now to to design our project. The important thing we did in launching is we're beginning what we're, we're describing as a conversation. How often do great big infrastructure projects come out when they're in the board planola a process and there's a public consultation of about six weeks and it is very difficult for people to take on board what's being proposed to make any any meaningful submission on the project, be it positive or negative. So we're beginning a public conversation before we begin the design work and a full almost year and a half before we lodge for planning. We want to make sure that people understand what this project is, what its benefits will be, to make sure we take on board maybe other ideas which are better than ours, that we get that final design as optimum as we can. I, I actually think it is possible for us to build a project that will make a very significant positive impact on both the built environment and the natural environment in Dublin
0: because you have
1: a big public parkway that you're
0: there it is a walking
1: area already in Poolbeg, but you plan to enhance that it it is a walking area what we're talking about doing is providing three public park areas total is about 6.1 hectares so that's eight or nine football fields if you like and the areas we're talking about people nobody has access to them at the moment one of them will face onto the Liffey and we'll be beside a new campus that we would have to build for all of the sailing, yachting and boating activities which would be impacted by the road we're proposing. There would be another one down, uh, we refer to it as Pigeon House Park, right beside Pigeon House Harbour. From there, people would get magnificent views of ships coming in and out of the port and we would have a turning basin in the river at that point as part of the project. So you would see the great sights of, of very very large ferries, ferries like Ulysses and WB8s and so on turning in the river in front of you and I, I, that is an endlessly fascinating thing, we, we know that from, from the people we, we talk to walking the Great South Wall and the third park would be on the south side of the peninsula and it would open up onto, onto Sandy Mount Strand right adjacent to the Pembroke and Dublin Four uh, development on the Irish last bottlelands. If people want to take a look at this plan where do they see it If they go on to if they, if you just google uh, Dublin Port 3FM 3 being the number 3, Dublin Port 3 FM, that will bring to, to a website. And there you will be able to to listen to the project promoted from within the Port and our Advisors, describe it, you will see our, our, our general arrangements, and you can download a lot of information. And most important, you can contact us and have a chat or tell us what you think, whether you like it, loathe it, or have better suggestions for us, we're here to listen to you.
0: And that was Dublin Port Chief Executive Eamon O'Reilly and you'll find a link to the Port Development Plans on the Seascapes website, Seascapes. Staying in the Dublin area, there's an ongoing battle between environmentalists and the sewage treatment plant in Ringsend about overflows into Dublin Bay. I was at the swimming spot in Seapoint on Dublin Bay yesterday to hear from the leading campaigner on the water quality in the bay.
2: My name is Jerry Jones and I am the chairperson of SOS Dublin Bay and we're here on the, at the beautiful beach at Seapoint beside the Martello Tower on a beautiful sunny uh, winter's day with a blue sky so a pleasure to be here and to talk to you It's...
0: An idyllic situation, Dublin Bay. It's a fantastic facility to have so close to the city. But yeah. you have big concerns.
2: I have, yeah. Like I'm, for- I'm fortunate, like many people in Dublin, to live close to the bay, um, which is an extraordinary amenity for the enjoyment of people of Dublin. Uh, whether they're swimmers, people walking on the beaches. Uh, having their picnics with their kids on the beach sailing, diving, windsurfing, whatever else it's an extraordinary facility to have and uh, my concern is the the significant problem of the water quality deteriorating due to the outfall of sewage from the plant in Ringsend and other sources as well
0: we have a major sewage treatment plant over here we can see it just behind the towers here it was only, but when was it opened? And then it was going to serve the whole city, but that hasn't turned out.
2: Yes, the Ringsam plant actually, believe it or not, has been there. I think since the early 1900s originally, the original plant. But there's been obviously major investment made over the last two or three decades. Um, but as it's presently constructed, it's able to process the sewage for about 1.6 million people in the Dublin region, which is insufficient. Um, they are planning to upgrade, and this upgrade works underway at the moment as well. But there's a huge uh, deficit on the infrastructure needed to treat the sewage in Dublin Bay which creates a huge problem in, in times of heavy rainfall.
0: It, it it can operate at capacity. It's okay when things are okay, but a big heavy shower, a lot of rain over the day, that water goes through there as well, which it seems kind of strange thing. Why doesn't it go somewhere separately?
2: Exactly. Yeah, well, this is kind of one of the historic factors of this infrastructure in Dublin, which was that uh, rainwater and sewage water is goes to the same pipe pipe network in so what I call older parts of Dublin. So during periods of very heavy rain, you have this huge volume of rainwater and sewage that hits the plant. The plant can't handle that. That volume, and what they have to do is basically discharge that that water untreated into the bay. So during periods of heavy rain, you get very very bad water quality problems in the bay.
0: Is that the way? Throughout the
2: world, that rainwater and sewage is, goes into the same place. Um, it, it is historically, but not in more modern times. In more modern times, and certainly like in the last like, 30, 40, 50 years, in the Dublin region, like in most European cities, you've got two pipe networks: one for surface drainage for, for rainwater, so it, it drains rainwater away into, say, rivers and, 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 and the sea, where there's no, there's no actually effluent in that at all. And then there's a separate pipe network to take sewage from buildings, houses, homes, office blocks into a sewage plant. But the two entirely separate networks which solves that problem to some extent.
0: Okay but to do that here the cost would be astronomical so that's probably never going to happen. Yeah yeah. However what happens here when it rains when there's heavy
2: rain the, the plant can't cope so what you have well, in very heavy rain periods would actually clearly happen more often outside the summer season rather than in the summer season so we're talking about autumn and winter specifically okay you have this huge volume of water it hits the plant in rings end and in rings end what they have to do they have holding tanks to try and handle this extra water but at a certain point they overflow as well so what they have to do at that point is they have to either open up the tanks and discharge into the sea or else the sewage backs up into the, into the pipe network and arrives back in people's homes, which clearly they don't want to have happen as well. So the solution they have is they open up the, the, uh, the overflow tanks and they discharge uh, untreated sewage and rainwater into the, into, into the bay. So we know for the four-year period from to, uh, up to 20, uh, December 2020, um, about 8.9 million cubic metres of untreated sewage was released into the bay. That's not my figures, that's Irish Waters figures, which is about 75 Olympic pools each month. So the volumes are huge, and that does not count, by the way, what's called stormwater overflows, of which is about 410 in the Dublin region, which also discharge uh, sewage into the bay in those type of examples of heavy rain. That is not measured at all, but is thought to be the, the same or more than what happens from, comes from the plant. What effect does that have on this beautiful place? Well, first of all, it's a a public health hazard. It breaches uh, European uh, norms and world WHO norms as well. So what happens is uh, people are swimming in water uh, that they think is safe, but in fact is not safe, which is really, really worrying. Uh, Now, in that regard there, to be fair to the authorities, they do test the water from the 1st of June until the 15th of September, which is defined as the bathing season in Irish legislation. That is transposed in a European directive and it's been done incorrectly in Ireland. Uh, they should be testing when people are swimming. As we sit here, stand here this morning, there are people swimming just here. Absolutely, I mean, like I mean, that's the thing about it. swimming was traditionally more a summer sport in Dublin Bay, uh, so June, July, and August, which is what's been historically called the bathing season. In more recent times, particularly around COVID, it's become a mass type of uh, event all year round. So, like as you see today, there are people swimming here as well. Weekends, you've hundreds of people swimming around Clontarf, uh, Dublin, Dublin Bay, Sea Point, Sandy Cove, Killiney, as well. So that like, the state has a duty duty of care to test water and inform people that it's safe to sue or not. We have Council's opinion, the Irish state not only is it breaching European Directive, the 2006 Bath and Water Directive, it's also abdicating the responsibility of duty of care, which is a public health issue for us and that is a really real concern, which we're pushing hard to get change in that as well
0: regularly over the summer we get no swim notices in Dublin bay
2: yes that happens it happens regularly it happens every year now uh, as you know uh, sandy mount beach has been permanently closed because of sewage so that beach is no longer even tested it's designated as not safe swim at all uh, other beaches here both killiney sandy cove and sea point have been closed from time to time when it happens uh, this happens after the water is tested and it fails certain norms and notices put up on the council website and at the location itself but as i said earlier that only happens from the first of June to the fifteenth of September. Out mm-hmm. of that period, no testing—sorry, little testing—is done, and people don't know if it's safe to swim or not. And it, we we know it is. A, the rainfall is heavier in winter time. Therefore, the time they don't test is the time they should be doing more testing.
0: I've reported on this before, and people do report getting kind of throat infections, yes. all that kind of thing from yes. the
2: water. We have we have people on the record who have come to us who have been treated for E. coli infection, some by their GP some have been hospitalised so we have cases of that now it's difficult to get a handle on exactly how many cases there are the, 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 H- the HSE reporting doesn't drill down to the cause of the, H- the E. coli infection which is a notifi- notifi- notifiable uh, sickness, they don't uh, drill down to find out exactly what the cause of it is but there are absolutely people getting sick from this as well and I believe this has the potential to be an army deafness type case uh, kind of scenario of where people are going to get sick, the state will, is not acting in accordance with the duty of care to, to protect people's health. I think this could end up in a very serious matter for the state with a very large cost to the state if the state does not act now.
0: You've written and got replies from Minister
2: Dara O'Brien. What has he said to you? That's interesting. Uh, we have an meeting with Minister Dara O'Brien um, going back to last uh, June. Uh, he has engaged with us. He has said that he wants to deal with this issue. But we're getting very mixed messages from the officials about this, which is a real worry. Uh, the bottom line is, uh, while commitments are being, have been made about doing something, uh, there's no time frame on when that will be done by, and there's no clarity on exactly what he wants to do. Uh, We're calling for all-year-round testing of the water in accordance with the 2006 Bathing Water Directive of the European Commission. We want that done all-year-round, not just for the the three and a half months it's done presently. We've no commitment to that as well, but we have asked for a decision to be made by the 8th of December, uh, which is the next meeting of the expert group in the Department of Housing and Environment about this matter. If we don't get a commitment by the testing, we'll have to escalate matters, which unfortunately it looks like that's what's going to happen at this stage.
0: How much would it cost to do all these works that are needed?
2: Uh, the upgrade of the works, I, there's a current uh, project underway in Ringsend at the moment. I, I don't have the exact number of the cost of upgrade, but it's some hundreds of millions. Uh, that is not sufficient in itself. Uh, more is needed. From what I can see, there needs to be a, a new plant built, which was planned for Clonshaw on the north side of Dublin as well. But the bottom line is that we need more investment in infrastructure. There's a constant lag of investment and lack of investment put into water infrastructure in Ireland. And the consequences of that are, are pollution. So we need to do more and we need to do it sooner. Upgrade Ring's End is due to be completed by 2025. Our information is it won't be done by that date. And the Clanshaw plant is imperative. That hasn't even started yet. But until more investment is done and more money made available, this problem is going to continue.
0: If I want to go swimming
2: over the next month or two in the freezing cold here, yeah. is it safe? Good question. My advice to you is um, if it's if you have periods of heavy rain... Uh, do not swim in Dublin Bay for at least three days afterwards because you're almost certainly going to have water that will not meet uh, the health standards defined in the European Directive and you could put your health at risk. Outside when there's outside period of heavy rain, it probably is okay, but you can't be definitive on this until you have proper testing done of bathing water.
0: And that was Jerry Jones of SOS Dublin Bay speaking to me at Seapoint yesterday. It was very cold, but lots of people were swimming. And in response to SOS Dublin Bay, Junior Minister Malcolm Noonan said that both he and Minister Darrell O'Brien were committed to protecting and improving bathing waters. Among actions being taken, they were going to allow local authorities to determine the length of the bathing season for individual areas for testing. And that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme is podcast, it's on our website, rte.ie/seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. If you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe.
2: Seascapes is presented and produced by Fergal Keane.